yesterday, today, and forever. Scripture tells us Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, we've read about yesterday. We read in the Word about the yesterdays. Today and forever, He's the same. And I hope you take hope. I hope that you take hope in that. Uh, I know there's people with us today that are need the God that they read about in the Bible to show up in the same way he did yesterday, today. And we believe that he's the same and he would do that. And so I want you guys to take hope today. Um, we're in a, a series called New Mercies, and we're looking uh, at Scripture. And essentially today, if I was going to summarize the message, I guess I'll give it to you right at the beginning, is that uh, that we can, God gives us new mercies for the project that he has us in, um, but we can delay the outcome uh, when we don't receive those rightly. We can delay the outcome. We can, we can put off the goal that God has for our lives uh, by procrastination, by, by not responding correctly or in a timely manner. I guess that would be the, the essence of the message today. Um, the term new mercies comes from lamentations, the book of lamentations. A lamentation is a strong word. It's a deep grieving, mourning. Uh, you would consider it to go alongside wailing and weeping. And Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 is probably the most popular verse, I would say, out of this book. Um, and it, it's a note of hope. I'll read it to you. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They're new every morning. God's mercies are new every morning. And His faithfulness is great. His mercies are a result of His faithfulness. They're not a result of our worthiness. They're not a result of our faithfulness. They're not a, a result of our good deeds or good actions or good behavior or our star chart, you know, or whatever, whatever kind of metric we use to evaluate our spiritualness. God's mercies are new because of His faithfulness. And so you might wake up and think, I've done nothing to deserve mercy. I've done nothing to earn love. I don't know why God would want to help me. He helps you. His mercies are there because of his faithfulness. And so it's on us to receive and respond to those mercies. You know, I was thinking about... Um, I use the term project. That's kind of how my life is working, how I measure my life in this, uh, the season that I'm in is I just have projects and, you know, like I try to see them through to completion and then look to the next project, you know, and sometimes you have too many projects going on. You know what that's like, right? Um, but I'm learning to uh, tackle what's at hand and trust the Lord with the rest. But at thinking about the project of Christianity, the project of your life. If you're a believer, no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, if you're a new believer, if you've been at it for decades, the main project in the life of the Christian 
is intimacy with God that leads to conforming to his image. It's growing in Christ-likeness. If you think about 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of, one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. We're staring at His glory. We're, we're near to Him in intimacy. As we behold, this is a principle we see in Scripture. You see it actually in life. Beholding is becoming. The things that you behold, that you place in front of your eyes, the window to your soul, the things that you behold, you become. So we behold God's glory, and as we have that intimacy, we're transformed into the likeness of Christ from glory to glory. John 15 says it another way. I reference this all the time. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. It's a, a remaining in him. It's an intimacy project that results in fruitfulness. You know, Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. The, the declaration, the cry of the believer's heart is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we cry out to our Father, we walk in intimacy, we're a part of the project of seeing his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see that? Do you, would you agree with that? That's kind of the, the goal of the life of the believer, walking in intimacy, being transformed into his likeness, bringing about his kingdom. I'm sure there's, there's more to it, of course. But in essence, that's the project that we're on. And God provides us, Scripture tells us, he provides us with the resources to see this through to completion. The mercies that God gives us on a daily basis, the resources that he gives us are to that end, that we can walk closer in intimacy with him, be conformed to his likeness, which then has uh, the, the effect of, of, of uh, influencing positively our relationships with those around us and our impact that we have on the world. Are you tracking with me? I'm not saying anything heretical or, or revolutionary. Um, but our goal ought to be to so line up with the Father in intimacy that his life, energy, and spirit flows through him into us and nourishes us to vitality, abundant life, transformation, and fruitfulness. I rarely write out whole sentences or a script of what I say, but I'll read it again since I, I went through the trouble of doing it. Our goal is to so line up with the Father in intimacy that his life, energy, spirit flows through and nourishes us to vitality, abundant life, transformation, and fruitfulness. Again? <laughs> it's on, it's, on, it's uh, recorded. Um, and when I woke up this morning, usually on Sunday mornings, uh, you know, it's funny that we talk about part of the, the assignment I was given, it used the word procrastination, which uh, I'm something of an expert in. Um, I've actually, I've, you've probably heard me talk about this. I, I, uh, I used to kind of joke that I am a strategic procrastinator, that I'll use like 
a looming deadline or a project or, or task to accomplish that I'm avoiding as like a motivation to do all kinds of other meaningful things. Like, so it's like, I know I need to get this done, but, you know, it's really more important that I take a walk with my wife. You know, it's really more important that I have this long conversation with my friend. It's really more important that I spend time with the Lord. And I'll use like, you know, I'm like a strategic procrastinator. And sometimes that's like sincerely beneficial. And a lot of times that's like, uh, you know, detrimental as well to, to uh, my stress levels and all that. Um, but usually when I'm preparing for a message, I'm reflecting, I'm looking at passages. I know that the topic that I've been assigned, I'm kind of stewing on it, chewing on it all week. And then as it gets close to Sunday, I try to synthesize all the things that I feel like the Lord was showing me that week and the things that fit, I try to bring together in a message. And a lot of times I'll wake up early Sunday and I'll just wake up either with a new direction or kind of a defining moment. And uh, so I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but I woke up this morning and I had two images that flashed into my head right away. And it fits with that sentence that I just wrote. Um, And it was sort of out of the blue. I had the image of a grafted branch being placed, you know, into its, you have the rootstock and you have the scion, as I understand it. I had the image of a grafted branch being placed onto a root and bound up tightly so that it can be fruitful. And I had the image of a baby being born moments after its birth, like the moment as it's born being placed on its mother's chest. And those came out of nowhere. They weren't on my mind. But uh, uh, I guess recently I had the opportunity someone was giving away chickens which are a hot commodity currently. Somebody said a pair of chickens went for like $350 at Dinkies recently. I don't know. They must have been like gold, like golden eggs or something. I mean, the eggs are kind of like worth their weight in gold nowadays, right? Yeah. Do what? Yeah. Somebody was offering up, they were getting rid of chickens, and they were like young and laying, and, and uh, so we went to do it. And while I was there, I was a friend from high school that I knew that, moved away and came back, and I'd never actually met her husband, and he came out, and he gave me an impromptu lesson on grafting branches, and he had his yard full of, you know, certain types of rootstock trees that had grown, and he had different things growing on it, you know, one tree would produce two or three different types of fruit, and he just, he he did it right then, he took a branch, and he was explaining it to me, he was very enthusiastic and, and uh, passionate about it, and so I just sat there and listened, and he kind of got a, a scion, a, a branch that's fruiting, and he scratched it with his thumb, and he could see green, a green layer beneath the bark. And he said, there's still life here, and he cut it in such a way, and he cut the rootstock in such a way, and he was explaining it to me, you know, very carefully how you have to match up the cambium, I think is how you pronounce it, the layers where the life flows, you have to match those up just right. You have to line them up together and bind them up so that the life from the root flows into the branch. And the DNA that's in the branch, it will produce fruit as the life comes up from the root. And when I woke up that morning, that was kind of what was in my mind, the lining up of the life-giving layers. And I went up online to read about it, and it and uh, someone was explaining the process, and they said, you bind the two together, but on the tree's part, it senses that it has been wounded. 
So the tree sends signals to repair the damage and close the wound that will secure the two trees together. And that graft union will stay intact for the lifetime of the tree. And as we were worshiping, I was still meditating on this, thinking about it. And what I felt like the Lord was saying is that if you will bring your woundedness to my wounds, healing will flow. To my wounds, healing will flow. The tree knows it's been wounded, and it, it sends life to heal the woundedness, and it creates a bond that can't be broken, that will last a lifetime. I mean, it, you know, on a tree, it could, be, it could be torn off or whatever. But I think that's something that happens, a spiritual truth reflected in the natural world, that if we will bring our woundedness and we will apply the wounds of Christ to it, his life will flow through us and we will bond with him and he'll make us fruitful. That's powerful. That's a good word. If you're hurting today, take your woundedness and apply his wounds to your woundedness. The other image that popped into my head when I woke up was a newborn baby. And I know maybe different doctors do it different ways, but in my mind it was just like, I mean, I didn't have like a full anatomical view, but it was like just sliding up the belly to the mother's chest. And the little that I know about it, I'm not an expert on females or children or birth. I mean, I have seen it. I feel like I've seen it enough times like I could probably competently, you know, help facilitate. Uh, I don't want to get too far down the line here. I'll start telling some jokes. Uh, But there's something right about skin-to-skin contact. Our skin is our largest organ. And if you study it, the, the things that we put on our skin, the, the beauty products, the healthcare products, the cleaning products, the things in the atmosphere, uh, touching the earth, the things that we touch, they impact our vitality. They impact our health. And even more so, the bond between a mother and a newborn. In fact, um, you know, when, when mothers are breastfeeding, there, there's such a, a beautiful and intimate connection that even the, you know, the, the saliva from the newborn will communicate to the mother and her milk will produce antibodies that the baby needs. And I read somewhere even a mother kissing her newborn, there's something that transpires that the mother's body creates what the newborn child needs. And I think science is just beginning to understand uh, the beauty of it. Um, and I was thinking about that, you know, and I, I've said before, like, if the world tells you something's bad that God said is good, you don't listen to those people, you know. There was a time where uh, science had thought they had replaced and improved upon breast milk, and they convinced mothers, you know, in India, they would, con- they would pass out samples um, of formula to new mothers so that their milk would dry up. They'd give them enough samples that they'd become dependent whether that was intentional, uh, intentional evil or an unintended consequence, um, I think generations have been impacted, you know, by uh, maybe bad science. Anyway, what God calls is good. What God creates, the order that he creates is good and I would say superior to uh, 
imposters. Same with eggs, right? Eggs kind of had a bad rap for a while. Like they give you cholesterol. Eggs are good for you. If you didn't know that, your body likes them. And now they're worth a lot of money. Okay. Um, But those two images came into my mind because that's our role. That's uh, our efforts need to be spent in intimacy, lining ourselves up, lining up the life-giving layers, uh, like the, the grafted branch, lining up so that his life flows into us. We can't force it to come. We can just line ourselves up. We need to lay ourselves on his bosom, so to speak. We need, to, we need some skin-to-skin contact with the Father so that we can bond and that nourishment can flow and that information will be, it'll, it'll, that will pass back and forth and his vitality, his health, his well-being will flow into us through that connection of intimacy. I'm not out of bounds here, right? That's, John 15 is basically, is basically that. And as we maintain that connection, and as there's that communication that goes on, like something I don't understand, it's mystical, it's deep, it's mysterious, but that communication from mother to newborn, that communication from rootstock to scion is a similar thing that happens, and our spirit responds to his spirit. The spirit knows what we need. We can even, through the spirit, we can even groan without uttering, and we don't understand what it's saying, but our spirit knows what we need, and it's, it's crying out. It's groaning. And there's a communication and information and health and vitality and life that passes through that bond, through that connection. And every single day, there are new mercies to maintain and to deepen that connection with the Father. That's good news. Second Peter 1.3 says, um, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We have everything that we need. And so the task that's before you, the resources are at your disposal, given to you by the Father. And all you have to do is take them up, receive them, and use them. And I, I, I guess the challenge before us is that we need to not delay obedience and not prolong disobedience. Don't delay obedience. When you hear that communication, you hear a word from the Lord, you hear direction, you feel a nudging from the Spirit, don't delay obedience. And when you feel uh, uh, conviction, you hear a warning, or you get correction, do not prolong disobedience. God's love for you is without question. It's good, it's wise, it's perfect. So if he's giving you a word, if he's giving you orders, if he's giving you a direction, it's for your good, it's for his glory, you can trust it, don't delay obedience. If he's warning you, convicting you, challenging you, correcting you about something, and maybe it's something that you hold dear and love, that you think you need to survive or to cope, do not prolong disobedience. In Hebrews 
um, the writer of Hebrews gives us a warning. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in you any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Don't let there be a gap between hearing and obeying. Today, if you hear his voice, you, there's two options. You harden your heart or you respond in obedience. If you hear his voice, don't let there be a gap. Mind the gap. From hearing to obeying. Let's, let's close that time down. You know, in the, the world of like business gurus and self-help and uh, whatever, all that stuff, there's a term KPI. Does anybody know what a KPI is? It's, a, it's called a, a key performance indicator. It's a metric, a measurement. And uh, a lot of times what we'll find is that we measure the wrong things in our life. We grade ourselves. We judge our success by measuring the wrong things. And, and a lot of times in, in the business world, in sales or whatever, uh, people will be measuring the wrong things uh, that they think are leading them to success. And you have to find your key performance indicators so that you're measuring the right thing and you can mark your growth. Because if you, if you succeed in this area, you're going to be successful in all these other areas. And I think this gap between hearing and obeying for a believer is a KPI, a key performance indicator. If you hear his voice, obey. Don't harden your heart. Some of us have things that we've had in our life, issues we've had, we've struggled with, things that we've known we need to deal with, and we've delayed obedience, we've prolonged disobedience, we've put it off, we've delayed, and we've made a mess of things. Things have gotten worse. You know, uh, Scripture says that we can tell a mountain to be removed to the sea, right? We can speak to a mountain and it'll be removed. But a lot of times we speak to molehills and make them bigger than they are, and we make molehills into mountains, right? Instead of removing the mountains that are in our path, we speak to little things and we make bigger problems out of them than they need to be. There's two ways that Scripture gives us to think about this um, in regards to the Spirit. It talks about grieving and quenching, right? Have you heard this? You've read this in your Bible? Um, we can grieve the Spirit and we can quench the Spirit. And essentially, you grieve the Spirit by remaining in sin that you ought not to be in. And you quench the Spirit by not responding in ways that the Spirit wants you to move. Sometimes the Spirit's calling us to stop things. We don't stop them. We're grieving the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit is calling us to take action. Uh, in the context, it's even regarding um, responding emotionally, responding with spiritual songs and hymns and singing and responding with joy. The Spirit is moving us. And when we reject that movement or we stifle it, we can extinguish or quench the Spirit. Now, I know that's a hard word. It's in the Bible. It's a, you know, a, a, a 
You know, if you're a predestination person, a sovereignty of God person, um, which definitely believe in the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, but there are human effects that limit the movement of God's Spirit. It's called quenching the Spirit. Now, individually, I hope, individually and collectively, uh, I, I can only imagine if collectively we were committed to not quenching the Spirit. What would God do when we come together and we sing, when we worship and we pray? There are things that the Spirit wants to do in our midst. And we want... We need to be committed to not quenching the Spirit. We don't need to force it. We don't need to, to uh, you know, try to generate something, work it up. But the Spirit wants to do beautiful, powerful things in our midst. Can we, brothers and sisters, just commit to, with the ability that we're given, the mercies that are there for us, let's not quench the Spirit. And let's not grieve the Spirit. This is our project, I believe, for this year. Let's not grieve the Spirit. Let's not quench the Spirit. Let's press into intimacy and respond in obedience to the communication that flows as we draw near to the Father. That's a good word. You know, uh, our reading, the reading that was assigned, if you looked on Facebook, I haven't really touched on those verses, but um, it starts with Samuel and Samuel, the book of First Samuel, and God had told Samuel that he's going to anoint this guy Saul, and then the next day this guy Saul shows up at his door, and Samuel obeys. There's not a, there's not a delay in his obedience. Hi, Brecken. There's not a delay in his obedience. And if you read through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, you'll get a picture. You'll kind of you'll if you scan over them and get an overview. Um, sometimes there'll be a summary at the end of a life of a king, and it'll say he walked in the ways of the Lord, or he walked in the ways of his father. He followed the, the ways of the Lord and with all his heart, or he was, uh, you know, maybe there was a, a pagan wife or uh, an unbelieving mother or mother-in-law or a wicked father that he had that he walked in their ways. Or sometimes there's somebody who walked in the ways of the Lord except they didn't remove the high places. Or except they didn't see something through to completion. And I'm challenged by that. Because I don't want to leave something undone I wrote here, many legacies were tainted by never dealing with evils in their midst or evils that were tolerated. I don't want to leave something undone. I want to see what God can do, what God will do with a life that responds quickly to his promptings. I'm not always good at this. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a finished product, product here. Some of you are in seasons of transition. Um, which are difficult times. And I want to challenge you that 
You deal with the things in your midst. You don't compromise in those seasons. You don't make excuses. You don't delay obedience or prolong disobedience. Handle the season that you're in well. Jesus said, if you're faithful with a little, right, more will be given. Be faithful with what's in front of you. Don't leave the high places. Don't tolerate little evils that will taint your legacy. I'm just going to I'm going to stop there. I've, I've issued a challenge. I hope I've painted a picture that's um, desirable to you. A picture of intimacy with the Father that leads to fruitfulness. I hope that you are committed to the project of faithfulness. Fruitfulness through faithfulness. You don't have to generate fruit. You don't have to go out and Busy yourself uh, frantically trying to stir up, you know, good deeds and good works and, and good character. Abide in him. Remain in him. Establish intimacy and let his life flow through you. Let his nourishment flow into you. And don't hinder the work of the Spirit in transforming you. Find those new mercies. Receive them. Put them into practice. Find those tools that he's given you. You guys ever watch Dora, the Explorer? I mean, her backpack just always had exactly what she needed, you know? She just had to look in her backpack and pick the right thing for the right task. And I think, okay, it's silly, but God's got, you got a backpack, and it has what you need for the task that's in front of you. So be faithful with what's before you. Walk in intimacy with your Father. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. All right, Jesus, I love you and I love these people and my prayer is for faithfulness, for intimacy uh, and a resulting fruitfulness in their lives. I pray for your shalom, your well-being to flow into them, your, your nourishment as they uh, rest their head on your chest, as they draw near, as they're grafted in, as they're, they're, they apply your wounds to their woundedness. I pray for healing. Pray for wholeness. We pray for life to flow. We're about to take communion and let it remind us that you held nothing back. In your love, you've held nothing back. You've given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And we thank you. We thank you for your wounds that heal. So Lord, go with us this year, this week, as we embark on this project. Let us be committed to moving with your spirit, not grieving, not quenching, embracing and being filled by it. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, and move us forward as, as individuals, as families, as a church, God. And we pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. We have communion, like, if you're not a guest, you know what, what we do. If you are a guest, there's four places around the room. Um, we'll have 
worship in the background. You can reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus, the words that uh, we shared today. And if you'd like prayer, there's lots of people that'd love to pray for you. I'll stay up here if you want to come up and I'll, I'll pray for you. If you're a person that